ever told you how Bethlehem's not that great? It's really not that great. And it really wasn't that great 2,000 years ago. Uh, I can show you. I have a picture. So, yeah. Now, this is not 2,000 years ago. This is uh, late 18, early 1900s. This is Bethlehem, okay? It's a suburb village outside of Jerusalem. This is like five times the size that it was when Christ was born, okay? So this is like the megatropolis, and this is not much to look at. You can see we still have shepherds doing their thing uh, in Bethlehem, which was because of the hillside and, you know, the, the recent or the close-by metropolis of Jerusalem that apparently was its function in the first century, a place uh, for shepherds to, to live and to take care of their sheep. Again, not a huge town. Time of Christ, maybe 500 inhabitants. So it's, it's just not, it wasn't a big place. It had a very Sussex County vibe to it, <laughs> if I could just kind of throw that, throw that out there. You know, it, it's, it's an obscure shepherd's village. It wasn't significant, and that's really important, I think, to understand. You know, we think about the insignificance of a little town like Bethlehem, and I think we can recognize that it's easy for all of us to feel that same insignificance. That it's easy for us as people to feel forgotten, to feel out of the way. Maybe we live in the shadow of someone else, like the big city Jerusalem, and we're just kind of along for the ride. And of course, that insignificance isn't geographical insignificance or economic, but it's emotional, and it can even be spiritual. Add to that the fact that sin causes damage in our lives. Sin hurts. It wreaks destruction. The fact is, Sin causes us to wonder, does God even care about me? Does he know where Bethlehem is? Does he know what I'm up against? Am I forgotten? And in the history of the nation of Israel, this feeling of abandonment or being forgotten by the Lord was a byproduct of Israel being sent into exile. So during the time of the prophet Ezekiel, and I'll show you this just so you can get a sense for it again, um, in, in, in the time of the prophet Ezekiel, uh, Israel was taken into exile, right? Here, here in, in, in Israel, they were taken all the way to Babylon. The northern kingdom had already been taken to Assyria, okay, a, a generation prior. And so here, the southern kingdom is now taken down to Babylon. God's people were scattered. They were living in foreign places, eating foreign food, far away from the land that God had promised to Abraham, far away from the temple, and if you think about that, it would be natural and normal to be in that circumstance and wonder, has God forgotten us? Has God forgotten what he promised? Has God forgotten to care about us? Because it doesn't feel like he remembers because we're so far away. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel a little forgotten. Maybe you're facing significant hurt and damage in your life. Maybe you've... you've suffered sin from others, and you are a victim. Maybe you're involved in a conflict. Maybe you've had years of sin eating away at you, and you just feel like, Lord, why, why am I forgotten? Well, the fact is that the exile of the nation of Israel was a function of the failure of Israel's leaders. And in Ezekiel 34, the prophet Ezekiel starts off by condemning Israel's leaders, past and present. 
He says, woe to the shepherds of Israel, basically because they ate the sheep rather than cared for the sheep. They consumed rather than cared. And the fact was that their failure, coupled with the failure of the people, often the failures of the leaders becomes the failures of the people, right? So often uh, because of that, their, their failures, Israel had rejected the Lord and they were scattered into exile all over the place. As they were, Ezekiel offers... In the midst of exile, he offers a message of tremendous hope. It's not a message that whitewashes the past or just, you know, kind of you know, tucks it under the rug, but it's a message that acknowledges the failure of Israel's leaders and the failure of Israel to reject the Lord. But then it also looks to the Lord in hope. And that's what we find here in the, the latter section of chapter 34. We don't have time to cover all of chapter 34, so the first 10 verses basically cover that condemnation of Israel's leaders in their failure. And we're going to pick it up in verse 11, where Ezekiel tells Israel where they should be looking for help if their leaders have failed. And as we interact with, interact with this text, I just want to encourage you this morning that there is hope for you in these verses. There's comfort for us in the Word of God here. Let's hear what Ezekiel says, starting in verse 11. Ezekiel tells us, For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. If we pause there, the picture in verses 11 to 16 is of God as Israel's shepherd. There's emphasis laid here on the fact that God says, your leaders have failed, and rather than try to install new leaders, the Lord says, enough, I'm going to just do it, right? That's the tone in verse 11. Did you note it? For this is what the Lord God says, see, I will myself search for my flock and look for them. These two verbs, search and look, they're important because one talks about the actual seeking process, like looking for a lost sheep, but then the second there looking for them, it could be translated, I will attend to them. There's an idea here of actually paying close attention to the specific needs of the flock and carrying them. And don't we hear about that there at the end of the, of the promise here in verse 15, where the Lord says, I'm going to bind the, the bandage. I'm going to strengthen the weak. I'm going to take care of my sheep. It's a beautiful picture of God saying, I'm just going to get this done. He's going to seek out his sheep. And by the way, where are his sheep? They are scattered. Why? Because of their sin. And the failure of their leaders, they're scattered. And the Lord says, I'm going to, it's actually interesting, it's in chronological order. I'm going to seek them, I'm going to gather them up, I'm going to bring them back to the land that I promised them, and then I'm going to care for them. I'm going to take care of them as I put them in a good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains, and they'll feed in a rich pasture. Oh, he's going to take care of them. By the way, note also in verse 15, he doubles down on the fact that he's the one that'll do it, and that Israel can believe this, 
even though they're very far from home, because this is the declaration of the Lord God. You see, as they were lost, as they felt forgotten, as they had failed, as they had hurt one another, right? As they were so far from where they needed to be, God says, don't panic, look to me. In fact, the very first words in verse 11 are, I am here, the the first words of the Lord's speech there, see, I myself. You could also translate those, I am here. Like, I'm the one that's going to do this. Look to me. Don't look to human leadership. Don't look to the government. Don't look to the prophet. Look to me. Look to me to be the rescuer. Note the tender care in the first half of verse 16. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. I'll tell you what, if you feel like you're forgotten by the Lord, Ezekiel 34 reminds us that you're not. That God is our shepherd, and he seeks his sheep. He pays careful attention to his sheep, and he cares for his sheep. There's no room here to pretend like we're not hurting, or to pretend like we don't need help. God says, you need help big time. You're scattered all over the place. But I am coming for you, and I will rescue you. There's also the anticipation of God dealing with the problem sheep, At the end of verse 16, he says, But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. We're going to talk about that more in a moment in the second section. But the reality is, God says here, not only am I going to rescue you and take care of you, but I'm also going to deal with the problem. I'm going to to settle the issue. I will shepherd with justice, he says. What do we learn here in verses 11 to 16? We learn that only the good shepherd brings prosperity to his people. Only the good shepherd... And that's God himself brings prosperity to his people. I can't emphasize to you enough how much a big deal the Lord makes here about the fact that he's the shepherd. He's the one that's going to do it. God says, these guys have failed you. I am going to do it. And so in the the midst of all the hurt, of all the neglect, of all the abuses that we suffer and injustices, when we're suffering with sadness and we're dealing with anger and bitterness and feeling forgotten, Ezekiel says, look to the Lord. We do have a shepherd. Now, where, where do we look when we feel forgotten and hurt? Well, sometimes, maybe oftentimes, in desperation, we'll turn to any source of relief we can find. And so often, this is where a satanic strategy falls into play, where sometimes Satan just distracts us and points us to other solutions, where we seek help from other places. So we're hurting, we're feeling, again, the, the consequences of sin, our sin or others that have sinned against us. Where again, we're feeling forgotten. And so we just want to find something that feels good. And so in extreme cases, we might run to, to drunkenness or to drugs and say, I'm gonna, I just, it makes me feel good and forget my problems, so I want to chase that. Not quite as extreme. We might say, I, just want, I don't want to feel good. I just want, I just want to feel good, so I'll take the food that I love and find refuge in that food. Or the video games that I enjoy. And I'll just gonna, I'm just going to zone out and, and binge watch the show on Netflix or whatever it is. I mean, tis the season. I'm just going to go shop my way out of this problem, right? I feel bad, and nothing, make me, nothing makes me feel better than buying something that I like, right? I mean, we all do it, and it's a little different for each of us, but we substitute for God. We're hurting, we're struggling, and we substitute for God. We say, I'm going I'm to seek help in this other resource. This will satisfy me, and this is the trick. It might satisfy you just for the moment, but it's never going to last. And all the while, God says, I am here. 
Enough with the others. I am here. I will shepherd you. I have, have sought you out. I will find you and care for you and bandage you and lead you to those good pastors. By the way, I'm certain you noticed the allusions to Psalm 23 there. Just thinking about God providing and caring for people, right? that shepherding metaphor that's so rich in Scripture. And the prophet Ezekiel, as the Lord speaks to the prophet, he uses those phrases intentionally. I want you to think about the fact that God cares about you more than anyone else could. And he says, I will care for you. Now, that promise did not mean immediate rescue from Babylon. That promise did not mean the immediate resolution of debts and hurts and immediate reconciliation with all those who had wronged them. It wasn't an immediate fix. But nonetheless, even as God left Israel in exile for many years, while they're in exile, he says, look to me, I'm still your shepherd. Listen, the, the Bible is very clear. God does not promise quick fixes to your problems, but it does promise that the character of God is the character of the good shepherd who cares for you. The takeaway here in these first few verses is to look to Christ, excuse me, to look to God as our, as our caretaker, to look to God as our good shepherd. He is the shepherd we need. He sees us, he's attentive to us, and he pursues us. We are loved. I like that idea of pursuit because so often we just get settled into our routines in life and there's not a lot of pursuit happening anymore. And, you know, I think about the younger days when I was pursuing Lindsay or maybe she was pursuing me, let's be honest. Yeah. No. She stalked me on campus. That's another story for another day. But, no, I, I can be a little obsessive. And so, uh, yeah. There was, a, there was a fair amount of pursuit that was involved, right, in that. And we have been blessed with many years of marriage. And I am ashamed to admit that I don't pursue as much as I once did. And that's a problem for me. But our God doesn't run out of energy. It's never old or stale for God to pursue his sheep. Even as they might be wandering off in the wrong direction. And maybe you're here this morning and you've wandered off because you're hurt. And you wanted to find a corner where nobody was and you could just be alone. And the shepherd, I want you to know this morning, the shepherd is pursuing you. Or maybe you've wandered off because you've gotten a taste for something you think is better. And you're pursuing sin and you're going the wrong direction. And the shepherd, you need to know, is pursuing you. He cares for you. The only way you're going to find that pasture, ultimately, is through the care of the good shepherd. Only the good shepherd brings prosperity to his people. But what about the sheep who have, who have caused the problem? What about those sheep who are not looking for the shepherd, who don't return to the shepherd, who don't respond to his leadership? Well, watch verse 17 as, again, he transitions now into saying, I'm going to take care of the problem. He says in verse 17, as for you, and again, this is, this is the prophet Ezekiel giving the message from the Lord. As for you, my flock, the Lord God says this, look, I'm going to judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the goats. And you might recognize that language because Jesus uses this exact image from Ezekiel 34, verse 17 in Matthew chapter 25 to talk about the day of judgment where the Lord is going to sort out who belongs to him and who doesn't. That's not a new concept. It's actually this exact concept here in verse 17 that not all those who were in the community of Israel were Israel, meaning not all those who were just ethnically Jews actually trusted in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the Lord says, I'm going to judge between the sheep. 
I'm going to figure out and sort out who is, who is trusted in me and who is my sheep and who is not my sheep, who shouldn't be here. Verse 18, he continues to confront these sheep. And it's not just about the leaders anymore. Now it's about any who would be in Israel who refuse to trust in him. Verse 18, he says, Isn't it enough for you? Isn't it enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with, with your feet? Or isn't it enough that you drink the clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Yet my flock has to feed on what your feet have trampled and drink what your feet have muddied. It's a vivid image. You can imagine all these sheep being led to a pasture, right? And here there's, there's water available and there's, there's good grass to, to feed on. And then you've got some bully sheep, right? Who go in and they muscle their way in before everybody else. And they muddy up the water and they trounce all over it. And they stomp on all the grass, eating the best parts that they want. And then they move on. And what have they left behind? They left behind muddy, gross water and, and grass that's been trampled. And it's, ugh, nobody wants that. The Lord says, yeah, there are some of those sheep in Israel. They're not mine. They don't belong to me. They're bulldozing other people. Verse 20, therefore, this is what the Lord God says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. The, the image here is that the fat sheep are those who have not treated others well. They've been selfish. They've pushed others out of the way. And they've taken the water that they want and the grass that they want with no regard for anybody else. Thus, other sheep are lean because there's not as much good water and there's not as much grass. And so they're lean. And the Lord says, don't worry. I know who's who. I'll take care of it. Verse 21, again, judging those fat sheep. Since you have pushed with the flank and shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your horns until you scattered them all over, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. The main idea here is really verse 22. The Lord says, I will save my flock. Again, God says, I am the shepherd. I will sort it out. I will lead. I will provide. I will give care. I will deal with the problem sheep. I will do it. He's the judge and shepherd. He's the shepherd who shepherds with justice. And this promise, we just have to understand that prophetically, this promise gives Israel and it gives you and I hope today, even though it is not yet fulfilled. Because future justice is the basis for hope and comfort today. We look forward to the day of judgment because it is the day when wrongs will be made right. It's a scary day to think about on the one hand, but because of the character of God, the good shepherd, the one who pursues and cares and tends, right? Because of his character, we need not look at that day with fear. We can look ahead and look, look at it with confidence and say, yeah, there are problem sheep and they're messing things up. But God will judge. He will judge between one sheep and the other. And so he's the savior. He's the rescuer. He's the judge. Future justice is the basis for hope today. There's no room in Ezekiel's vision for revenge or vengeance. There's no room for us to take matters in our own hands and say, well, I'll just deal with it, right? I'll deal with the bully sheep. The Lord says, no, you can't handle it, but I can. I can discern between the sheep, and I will deal with the problems. So we release our desire for vengeance, and we defer our hope for justice, and we say, God is good, and his timing is right, and when that day comes, he will deal with the problem sheep. There's also no room in this prophetic word for despair or discouragement. 
even amidst the hardship of living in exile and the hardship of what you and I might be facing this very day, there is this beautiful right, picture here of ultimate justice. And the Lord says to the prophet Ezekiel, trust me, put it in my hands and trust me. I will judge. I will take care of it. That future justice is intended to provide comfort for those who are victims and those who are suffering. It also, by the way, serves as a warning to hypocrites. It serves as a warning against self-centeredness. Again, it's such a vivid image of destroying the, the pasture and messing up the water for everybody else. But isn't that sometimes exactly what we do? I mean, we read this, we think, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of bully sheep in there. And then you're kind of like, wait a minute, am I the bully sheep? Because what happens when we're selfish is we're worried about me getting the water and me getting the grass. And so we elbow people out of the way to get what we want. We're not immune to that selfishness, are we? And so there's a warning here against hypocrisy and maybe a, a, just a caution for God's sheep to say, listen, be mindful of one another. As we look to God as our good shepherd, be mindful of one another. Recognize that God takes care of us all and we can trust him. And we don't have to push others out of the way to take care of ourselves. He's taking care of us. Now, all this sounds really great. Oh, beautiful picture. You know, the Lord, he's going to find us and take care of us and bring us to this beautiful pasture. He's going to sort out those ridiculous bully sheep. God's going to, this is all great and everything. It sounds great and amazing. But the fact is, how exactly is that going to happen, Ezekiel? How exactly are we going to get from Babylon back to the promised land? How are, how are we going to experience the goodness of God even though in reality we face significant suffering, right? Significant hurt. And Ezekiel, by, by the Spirit of God, continues to speak to Israel, but he doesn't leave it generic. He says, let me just tell you exactly how this is going to get done. And you just got to love it. Watch verse 23. Ezekiel continues. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet he says, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. Now, hold on right there, just at verse 23, okay? David has been dead for 400 years when Ezekiel gives this prophecy. So he's not talking about David. He's talking about someone who's related to David a descendant of David. Ezekiel is picking up on the prophetic promise that we find back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And that's such an important aspect of, of the incarnation and of God's care for us that we're going to circle back on that in a, in a few weeks. We're going to talk about 2 Samuel chapter 7 and the promise that God gives to David. And he says, one of your descendants will reign forever. And so since 2 Samuel 7, there's been an expectation that one of the sons of David would be the rescuer. And here Ezekiel, again, speaking for the Lord to the nation of Israel, scattered in exile. He says, God says, I'm the good shepherd. And remember how clear he was, I will shepherd you. I will take care of you. I will shepherd you. Here in verse 23, he says, I will establish over them one shepherd. He is the shepherd. But then he says, I will establish over you one shepherd my servant David. How can God be the shepherd and my servant David, a descendant of David, be the shepherd? See, now we have a situation where we're recognizing, hold on, the shepherd, if God's going to shepherd, but he's going to shepherd through a servant of David, who's this going to be? Notice, by the way, the language here in verse 23, he, like, it's hard to put in English, but he, like, 
quadruples down, literally four clauses, he says essentially the same thing, that this one from David will shepherd. So it's, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will shepherd them. He will shepherd them himself, and he will be their shepherd. The CSB changes the words up just for the variety, but there's not really variety there. He will shepherd. He will shepherd. He will shepherd. God's just spent 22 verses saying, I will shepherd. And then he says, my servant David, I will raise up. A son of David, I will raise up, and he will shepherd them. He will care for them. When we think about the incarnation, we think about Jesus Christ claiming the title son of David, we realize, hold on, it's not just that Jesus has lineage that goes back to David. It's that Jesus also is the eternal second person of the Trinity who descended from heaven to earth. Why? So he could shepherd us. Let's keep working through this and see how it plays out. Verse 24, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. When We have all these speech formulas in chapter 34, and it's, and it's God saying through the prophet, no, seriously, I'm doing this. Like, don't, you, don't doubt it. It's easy to doubt in Babylon. It's easy to doubt when you're hurting and struggling and you feel for God. He says, don't doubt it. I've promised this is what I'm doing. I will be their God. I will take care of them. The, my servant David will be a prince among them. And I, 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 with a solemn oath, the Lord says, I have spoken. This is happening. But he goes on to talk about what that will be like then under the care of the son of David, his servant David, the, the shepherd, the prince, God among us. He says in verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate dangerous creatures from the land. Probably snakes. I think that's most likely snakes. Yeah. <laughs> so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forest. The covenant of peace in Isaiah 54 emphasizes the removal of God's wrath. You know, it's so interesting. When we, when we heed the message of the Bible, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners and that God's wrath against sin is right and good. And yet at the same time, and really in the same breath, we have to say, but the miracle of the gospel the miracle of the work of the son of David is the removal of God's wrath. And he makes with us a covenant, a permanent binding agreement, a covenant of peace where we are forgiven. And yeah, he eliminates the threats, the dangerous creatures. Again, we're talking about sheep here. So the sheep, there's wolves, there's bears, there's lions. Okay, there's predators. And the Lord says, I've got you. I'll protect you forever. He goes on to develop this image in the sheep dwelling in the land. Verse 26, I will make them and the area around my hill a blessing. That's talking about Israel centered on Jerusalem. I will send down showers in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Rain means crops. Crops means food. The Lord says, I'm going to take care of them. But he's saying here, I will take care of them through my servant David. Verse 27, the trees of the field will yield their fruit and the land will yield its produce my flock will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the power of those who enslave them. You see, this whole thing is talking about the problem of the exile, the problem of Israel's sin and rejection of God and what it resulted in, their captivity. And God says, I am the rescuer. But specifically here, I will rescue through my servant David. I am the good shepherd through my servant David. And what will we find? Peace. Protection. Verse 28. They will no longer be prey for the nations. 
and the wild creatures of the earth will not consume them. They will live securely, and no one will frighten them. I will establish for them a place renowned for its agriculture, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land. They will no longer endure the insults of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. God says, I'm your shepherd. He says, I will raise up my servant David. And he says, I am with you. The only way this works is if the son of David is God in the flesh. That's the only way this works. Note verse 31 here, the end of the chapter, the end of the message. The Lord speaking to his people. He says, you are my flock, the human flock of my pasture. And I am your God. This is the declaration of the Lord. If you keep reading in the Bible, you come to the New Testament, you get to the Gospels, they talk about Jesus, what he taught, what he did. And we get eventually to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus declares this. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is immediately reaching into the Old Testament, grabbing Ezekiel 34 amongst several other passages and dragging that right into contemporary time. And he's saying, I am the servant David. I am the son of David who has come to be your good shepherd, to rescue, to provide. And it was such a controversial claim. If you read John chapter 10, not 10 verses later, Uh, Jesus' contemporaries were plotting to execute him because they knew that when he claimed to be the good shepherd, he was claiming to be God because they knew Ezekiel 34. And so here, when Jesus declares he's the good shepherd, he's declaring that he is God with us and God for us. That's your main idea this morning. The good shepherd is God with us and God for us. He's with us and he's for us. You know, we, we often, in the sense of feeling the, the hurt and the forgottenness and the, the shame and the frustration of life, right? we're, we're in the midst of all of that for all kinds of different reasons. But it doesn't matter who you are. The fact is, Jesus Christ is the son of David. He is the good shepherd. And so all the things that God says in Ezekiel 34 about his character apply to Jesus. He's the one chasing after sheep that have scattered around because of their sin. He's the one correcting bully sheep and their selfishness and calling them back to himself. He's the one providing care and protection from enemies. And ultimately, the picture here at the end of chapter 34 is that God will bring his people to their land. Now, I just have to tell you that the Lord did bring Israel back from exile. He did. But it was a bumpy road. And he didn't do it directly by his servant David. And so there's kind of a lingering question of, well, yeah, so yes, Israel's back in the land, but they're not really prospering the way this, this says they will. And in Ezekiel 40 to 48, there's a glorious vision of Israel prospering in the land and God's people being cared by him. But that's not happening yet. And so the question is, well, when is this going to happen? What is he really talking about? And the fact is this prophecy Although an initial fulfillment happens when Israel is returned to the land, 70 years after the exile started, they went home from Babylon by God's grace. But that was just a little sneak preview 
of what the Lord Jesus will provide for us forever on the new earth. Because this picture of being able to sleep outside without snakes, right? This picture of rain and provision for our needs, this picture of being able to just dwell in peace and safety, right? That being able to sleep at night without being woken up by any concerns and any anxieties, that glorious picture will happen. Why? Because God is the good shepherd. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. But don't forget what Jesus said about being the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The beautiful and paradoxical truth of the gospel is this. That when God says, I'm with you and I am for you, what he meant is, I will take on flesh and I will walk among you and I will care for you and I will teach and I will heal. But fundamentally, I will walk up the hill carrying your cross. And ultimately, I will die. Not because of the sin of those sheep, but because of your sin. I will die so that wrath can be removed and I can make a new covenant with you, the covenant of peace. The covenant that says, for any who trust in me, I have removed the wrath of God and I have instead substituted blessing and care. And yes, in the short run, we may face hurts and challenges, difficulties, living in a broken world, but we can know for sure, this is the, Lord, the Lord's declaration. Thus says the Lord, Five times, thus says the Lord, right? Four times, this is the Lord's declaration in chapter 34. Ezekiel says, this is what God says. I will care for you. I will remove the enemies. I will judge the wicked. And one day you will live at peace and at rest in the land forever. That promise is made reality because Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. I want to encourage you this morning and challenge you that sin is real and it results in real wrath in in God. And yet the fact is that you are loved. And God has made a way. And you can't do better than his provision for you. So what do we do? Well, the message is to turn to the Good Shepherd to acknowledge your sin and to trust in him rather than self. Trust in him rather than seeking refuge in some other means of satisfaction. Trust in him because he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So why Bethlehem? Why the shepherd's village? Right? Bethlehem is the hometown of, guess who? David, the shepherd king. The boy who was shepherding literal sheep when he was called to serve as king. And when God in his infinite wisdom in eternity past ordained that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, would take on flesh, they decided Bethlehem is the spot. Bethlehem is the spot for the good shepherd to be born. To fulfill the promises when the Lord says, I will, I will bring for you my servant David. And he will shepherd you. And he will shepherd you. And by the way, he will shepherd you. Jesus says, I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 
Back in the uh, 1500s, Henry Constable wrote a poem based on Ezekiel 34 and John 10 that's called, O Gracious Shepherd. I want to share with you the last stanza because it focuses on God's goodness as our good shepherd. If you're doubting his goodness this morning, be encouraged. It focuses on justice. God is the source of justice, but it also focuses on our response. You might just ask the question, if God is the good shepherd, and if Jesus as the good shepherd laid down his life for me, and he's, he's my prince, he's my king, am I following him? Listen to how Constable said it. He said, I know thy grace doth still for wanderers look. I was a lost sheep once, dear Lord, behold, and in compassion take me with thy hook. In one lost sheep new found, thou dost rejoice. Then know thy sheep, which know his shepherd's voice. There's no doubt as to the goodness of God's character this morning. The question is, do we know his voice? Jesus was born in Bethlehem because he is my servant David. He is God in the flesh. He is our good shepherd. That's worth worshiping him for and worth responding in faith to. So let's pray and we'll ask him to help us do just that. Lord, once again, we pause this morning and we ask for your help to respond to your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your beauty as the good shepherd, as it's explained here in Ezekiel 34. Lord, forgive us for doubting your goodness. Lord, we confess that often the brokenness of this world and even our own sin discourages us and it causes us to feel isolated and insignificant. But Lord, you care for us. You seek the lost. You bind the wounds. You strengthen the weak. And we thank you for this this prophetic message, Lord, that you do that specifically through the Son of David. And Lord Jesus, we praise you especially this morning for taking on flesh for us, for being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, we ask that you would help us to respond to you as our shepherd. Lord, we we pray that you would help us to walk by faith in you, especially as we're hurting. Lord, may we look ahead and look forward to future justice and be comforted even as people wrong us. And Lord, May we recognize that we can do no better than to follow you, our good shepherd, to those green pastures. Lord, we long for those days. In the meantime, we ask that you would strengthen our faith, keep us content in you, protect us from temptation to sin, and we pray that in all of this, you would be glorified as our good shepherd. We pray these things in your name. Amen.